Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology podcast. I'm Luke Worley and in this podcast we'll be talking about the lessons that we can learn from the evolution of inflammatory bowel disease in the contrasting countries of the UK and China to be published in the December issue. Let's hear from our interviewee, the lead author of the paper. Can you briefly give us your name and affiliation please? Hi, my name is Dr. Gil Kaplan. I'm a gastroenterologist and epidemiologist at the University of Calgary. To begin with then, could you briefly just explain what you set out to achieve with your review and why it needed to be done? Yeah, so we wrote this paper in collaboration with my colleague, Dr. Su Ng, who is a gastroenterologist uh, in Hong Kong. Su and I have met on a number of occasions because both of our of our research focuses on IBD and in particularly the rise of IBD in the West and in the East. And on many times we had a, a conversations around the similarities and differences between IBD in the Western world that's been established for, for several hundred years and the global rise of IBD as we're seeing it in newly industrialized countries in South America, in Asia, in Africa, and the Middle East. And Sue and I have spent a lot of time trying to talk about why, why has IBD emerged and why has it emerged a little bit differently in certain parts of the world than other parts. And that led us to develop this paper, which really goes into a lot of, the, the, into a lot of details around the answers to some of those questions. Moving to what you actually found in your review then. So you speculate on the sharp rise of inflammatory bowel disease incidents in the UK following the Second World War and the same trend in China, but 50 years later. Could you please comment on this and explain why you think this occurred? Yeah, so I mean, if I had to make a general statement, IBD is a disease of modern times and modern societies. In fact, if you look at it from a historical perspective, it, ulcerative colitis really only entered the medical vernacular in 1875 when Sir Walter Wicks, a physician in England, ad- identified this term after seeing a few cases occur in the Western world during the 1800s. And in fact, what we know as Crohn's disease was only recognized in 1932 by Crohn's, Ginsburg, and Oppenheimer, who were physicians in, in the U.S. So if you think about it, it's a disease that has only occurred in the last few hundred years. And if you look at the Western world, several longitudinal epidemiologic studies have shown a dramatic rise in the incidence of IBD during the last half of the 20th century. And this was in particularly in Western countries in North America, in Europe, in Australia. And try to think about what might explain that explosion in the Western world during the, the latter part of the 20th century. Well, it corresponded with the 1950s, which is considered, um, or uh, others have coined this as the great acceleration of human civilization. That's was denoted by an exponential global growth in the human population, driven by economic advancements, uh, automation, increased food production, and profound resource and energy utilization. And in that period, we saw a rise of Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis in those countries of the Western world that really exploded during that time. Now, on top of that, we see that in the beginning of the 20th century, as newly industrialized countries in China, in South America, uh, in the Middle East, as they become more like these kind of Western countries, similar patterns um, occurs, and we see the rise of IBD in a similar pattern in, in these newly industrialized countries. Now, the root cause of this dramatic rise, whether it be in the Western world uh, during the, the mid part of the 20th century or in the newly industrialized countries in the beginning of the 21st century, is likely multifactorial and includes enhanced awareness of the disease, improved access to medical technology, improved access to specialists, development of sophisticated disease surveillance systems that can track disease and and explain how many people have them. But also we recognize that it's it's also driven by pressures from environmental exposures associated with the westernization of society. 
Is the rise of inflammatory bowel disease incidence different between adult and paediatric populations? IBD has long been recognized as diseases that can be diagnosed at any age, from an 8-month-old to an 80-year-old. But we also recognize that IBD is most commonly diagnosed in adolescence and early adulthood. And what's interesting is that recent epidemiological studies from Canada have shown very interesting paradigms on the incidence of pediatric versus adult-onset IBD, with we're seeing higher rates of, in the incidence of pediatric IBD, but we're starting to see lower rates in adults. Now, we start trying to understand why would we see differing incidence rates between children and adults who are diagnosed with IBD, and I suspect it's likely driven by environmental exposures that influence adult and children onset IBD in a different way. And I'll give you one, one example. So we've known for a long time that in the Western world, smoking increases risk of Crohn's disease. If you continue to smoke, it increases your risk of needing surgery. If you quit smoking, you can change that risk. So smoking is a very important risk factor for, for Crohn's disease. But most people who develop Crohn's disease following starting to smoke are, are adult onset Crohn's disease. And we don't see that it's going to have a major impact in children who are diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Uh, now, if you think about what's happened in patterns of smoking in countries like Canada, the U.S., and England, we've seen a dramatic drop in the prevalence of smoking. And this may, in fact, explain why certain adult-onset-related incidents might be dropping a little bit uh, as well. But that wouldn't necessarily have an impact on childhood-onset IBD. So again, I, I suspect a number of environmental factors that affect children and adults in a different way may explain some of the differences that we see in patterns of incidence. Okay, so you've touched on this a bit before, but um, what are the factors in Western lifestyle that you believe to have a major role in the rise in inflammatory bowel disease incidence? Well, so I mean, even stepping back and thinking about the pathogenesis of Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, I mean, the first thing that, that um, is very important are genetics. And in fact, in the last decade, we've had a tremendous discovery in gene loci, and we've now identified over t 200 genes that make you susceptible for Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And if you look at what these genes do, most of them involve the interaction between the gut's immune system and the microbiome. So consequently, we're starting to think about environmental exposures about in the context of how do environmental exposures influence the intestinal microbiome in a way that it might drive Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And in that context, a number of environmental factors have been explored. Probably the most commonly studied one in the Western world is smoking, which has a paradoxical effect. Uh, it increases your risk in Crohn's disease, but actually, if you quit smoke or, or if you've never smoked before, it increases your risk of ulcerative colitis. Um, the other area that people are exploring quite a bit is early life exposures. This is particularly dri driven by the hygiene hypothesis, which says that children who live in kind of sterile environments, they don't get exposed to enough microbial influences, um, which means that their immune system may interact with their gut in an improper way later on in life uh, if they're exposed to uh, infections. And if you think about some of the factors early in life that may influence how your gut microbiome might be, might be influenced, these are environmental factors that we've seen as potential protective or risk factors. And some of them include breastfeeding, which protects against Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, antibiotics increases the risk, living in an urban versus a rural environment, where living in an urban environment increases your risk. Even uh, appendicitis in childhood has been shown to influence the risk of ulcerative colitis, uh, as well as living with pets or living on farms may influence the risk as well. There have been other factors that um, influence the gut microbiome that might have a more important impact regardless of the age of diagnosis. Diet is probably a big factor of this. We've had several recent 
large cohort studies that have looked at dietary factors and, and we're starting to see that, that a high fiber diet may be protective in diseases like Crohn's disease, whereas things like refined sugars and certain types of fats may influence the risk of IBD. Another factor that's being looked at is vitamin D. We've long time seen that there's a higher risk of IBD in northern in, um, uh, countries as compared to southern ones, and this may be explained by differences in vitamin D ex um, levels associated with sun sunlight exposure. So these are some of the factors that, that may be involved with driving the increased incidence uh, in, in, the, in the West. So a lot of different factors then. <laughs> More generally then, what are the common patterns driving the incidence of inflammatory bowel disease? I would say that in the 21st century, IBD is a global disease. And we're, 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 I say that because we're, we are seeing the rise of IBD in newly industrialized countries in Asia, South America, Africa, and the Middle East. And if you look at studies that contrast these newly industrialized countries to the highly industrialized countries of the West, we see that the IBD that develops is actually phenotypically similar in the West and the East. Uh, and such things as drug response is very similar. So the disease that is occurring actually looks very much the same regardless of the country of origin. And this is actually a very important revelation for newly industrialized countries like China that are dealing with rising incidence of IBD. And if you think about a country like China that has over a billion people, even if the prevalence is very low, we would expect in, over time that millions of patients will develop IBD in China. And the economic impact of managing IBD will be really great in countries like China and other newly industrialized countries as they have to start to deal with increased hospitalizations and operations for patients with IBD, as well as having to um, use our best therapies, which are biologics, but are also extremely expensive. And, and this puts us at a global risk of creating inequitable IBD outcomes that's really based on socioeconomic status and the wealth of a nation. And that's something that we haven't really tackled so much in kind of the 20th century in regards to IBD in the Western world. Uh, but one advantage that newly industrialized countries will have is their ability to learn from the mistakes and successes that have been seen in the Western world as we've managed IBD over several decades. Honing in on one specific risk factor then, could you please comment on whether there is any evidence for the transition from tea consumption to coffee consumption being one cause of the rise in inflammatory bowel disease? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, wh wh where this comes from is that my colleague Sue Ng, um, who is the leader of the AXIS cohort, which is uh, an, an inception cohort that's derived from 13 countries in Asia, including uh, China and India, uh, and they have a control country uh, as Australia, and they've identified, particularly in countries from Asia, that um, individuals who consumed tea and coffee were at reduced risk of developing IBD. Now, this hasn't been very well studied in the West, and, and the reason why I bring this up is that we can't completely assume that something that we'll see in the West will relate to something that will happen in the East or vice versa. Uh, and, and the reason that that's the case is that the AXIS study has actually identified a number of environmental exposures, some of which are similar and some of which are different. So for example, breastfeeding was consistently been shown to be protective for Crohn's disease ulcerative colitis in the West, was also shown to be protective in the AXIS countries in, in Asia. But if you look at something like smoking, where, where we've seen it as a major risk factor for Crohn's disease in the West, they actually didn't see smoking as a risk factor for Crohn's disease in countries in Asia. So I think the tea consumption is actually a very interesting factor. It's something that could potentially translate to a protective effect in, in the West, but would have to be studied to confirm. So has anyone got any ideas why factors can be protective in one country, but then not protective in the other countries. That's quite a strange theory, actually. 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It was actually quite eye-opening because what it means is that you can't assume everything that you you see in the Western literature is going to apply in the Eastern in, in Eastern countries and vice vice versa. And again, some of that might have to do with genetics. We've done a, a few studies that have contrasted the genes that makes one susceptible for Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis in the West versus the East, and several of the genes are similar but not all of them. So for example, ATG16L1, which is a, a commonly identified gene that makes you susceptible for Crohn's disease in the Western world, wasn't actually seen as a risk allele in, in the East. And, and NOD2, which is another gene that is shown to be a risk factor for Crohn's disease in the West, was a risk factor in, in Asian countries, but it was different variants of the different genes or different snips of the, of the gene that influenced the disease meaning that the, the underlying root cause of the disease, driven by the genetics, the microbiome, may be slightly different in driving the end disease, which is Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis that we see. And therefore, different types of exposures may influence different people in different ways. And in fact, if you look at, even in the Western world or, or countries like Canada or England, the, the way that an environmental f factor affects individuals in those countries isn't 100% universal as well, meaning not everyone who smokes will get Crohn's disease and not all smokers, and not all Crohn's disease patients have smoked. So there are differences and nuances, whether you're looking within countries or between countries. And what that means is we really have to study this in a very careful and very systematic way and not just lump all Crohn's disease and ulcerative patients into one, into one group when we're studying these factors. Yeah, sure. Very interesting. Um, finally then, what do you think could be done to combat this rise in inflammatory bowel disease? IBD is, as I mentioned earlier, is now a global disease. Um, and, and if you look at it for, from the perspective of the Western world that has been dealing with this disease for a long time, we're expected to see what's called compounding prevalence. And, and what I mean by that is that the prevalence of this disease is exponentially rising with time. And the reason why that happens is that um, the, the diagnosis is made in predominantly young individuals. And it's a chronic disease. There's no cure for it. So those young individuals will have this disease from the age 16 all the way until the end of their lives, unless something new or dramatic happens in the course of the disease over the next few decades. Every year, gastroenterology clinics are adding more patients to their clinics, but not losing them. And at the same time, those same patients are becoming older. They're developing comorbidities and complications that are more complicated to manage with. And so what we're going to expect to see in, a, in countries like England and Canada and the U.S. is just a greater volume and demand of these patients in our clinic in contrast to newly industrialized countries, which will be dealing with a rising incidence and prevalence due to the increased recognition of, of the, the disease. These are expensive diseases that impact quality of life. They impact the economics, both direct healthcare costs as well as indirect costs, such as loss of work productivity. And so this is a big problem that we have to deal with. And if we're thinking about dealing with the global rise of IBD, there's really one of two major ways that we can manage it. Number one is to try to prevent the disease from occurring in the first place, and the other is to innovate the way we deliver health care to be more efficient in, in treating this greater volume uh, of uh, patients. So in the first approach, the key is funding for 